Everybody, welcome to the Eternal Leadership Podcast. As you are listening to this, looking out in the world, and there's a lot of stuff going on. What are some things that we can do in the world right now, I think, to make a difference, especially in our organizations, our cultures? And I wanted to bring on an incredible leader, Brigadier General, retired, Doug Odie Slocum. Odie, welcome to the podcast, first of all. Hey, John. It's great to be with you today. A wonderful day here in Michigan and uh, look forward to having a chat. Oh, we're going to have a great chat. So first of all, guys, I give you a little background. Odie was the commanding general at Selfridge Air National Guard Base, which is in Michigan. And there's some things we might talk about around there because when he came in there, it was quite a turnaround situation, wasn't it, Odie, that you had to jump right into? There were a few challenges few challenges, right? Uh, you know, we have that every day. You get hired into a new company, new organization, or even your family. You're like, wow, this could be so much better. But you earned awards for being the top Air National Guard wing in the country. That is a huge accomplishment. Doug's also a fighter pilot, 4,100 hours. I actually just added mine up because my left eye is blind from an accident I had, and I'm trying to get my medical back. And I have 5,200 hours. So but I did a lot of flying after I got out of the military. But F-4s, a dinosaur to the F-16. Oh, you got to say it with reverence, though, when you talk about the F-4. It was a legend. She's it wonderful. The, She's beautiful. That is one plane that I always, always, always wanted to fly. I fought against it once, and it couldn't even compete with the F-14. But it is just such an iconic airplane. The A-10 Warthog, you guys have probably seen that. You've authored 250 lessons, textbooks, professional publications, and something else I love that you've done is champion nationwide programs for suicide prevention. That is something we talk about at, here, Odie, quite a bit because it's something you know we need to be aware of. That all this together resulted in you being inducted in the Air Force Safety Hall of Fame. You have the embracing others over self mindset. You are the primary instructor of military cultural competency for, and this is what we're talking about today a little bit, Warriors with Warriors program. So folks, it's about connecting spiritual warriors with earthly warriors. And it was kind of fun, Odie. And I said, hey, as we, you know, we have a lot of leaders in our audience and you've not only led, but you're creating programs. You're doing some incredible things right now. You did this turnaround you know, how would you describe your leadership style? And what did you tell me, Odie, your leadership style? Oh, I always like to brand it. You know, as I said, in my 35 years uh, in the military, you know, being a fighter pilot's great. We used to talk about airplanes, have wonderful experiences. But as I said, as I've learned through the years, and it's just been emphasized that it's always about people. So I've kind of honed a leadership style that I now like to call violent positivity. And I think that resonates with people. I think there's so much negativity out there nowadays. It's effective. It's catchy. It's a great way to inspire people to new levels of excellence. So violent positivity is the way I like to think about how to lead people. Yeah, I love that. And I'm a huge fan also of extreme vulnerability, radical candor. But what I like about, you know, the positivity is, and you know what, it's become an epidemic is the gossip and talking negative about everybody has just become how a lot of us communicate. And a lot of it is actually, well, just over the weekend, my three boys were here. It's something they know I am going to always challenge them on. They throw something out there that just doesn't sound right. Like it's something they've read somewhere or something that they've heard. 
but I'd be like, well, you know, where is that true? Where did you hear that from? Let's, but now let's just bring that into the workplace. If I'm sitting here and I'm frustrated, let's say with you, Odie, and said something negative, I got to tell you that gossip, which has become part of our culture, unfortunately, it is a cancer, whether it's in a family or whether it's an organization. And, you know, here's a quick question, because we're going to be getting into a lot of the stuff you're doing with leadership mindset and uh, working with spiritual and earthly warriors. Question for you, though, Odie, when you come into an organization and you see a lot of the people aren't positive, they're gossiping, there's negative, like it is not a culture with a lot of trust. Where are some of the places that you personally start when you see a leadership situation like that? Well, you know, and I've had that opportunity. I, mean, I used to travel around the military and talk about, you know, organizational culture. And to me, it starts at the individual level. And that's where I try and get a message out to each and every person that one person can make a difference. And I think you touched on it is that there is a volatility. There is a contagion either of negativity, which I think people have a tendency to default to because we're bombarded with that nowadays, but positivity can do exactly the same thing. So why not have a pandemic of positivity uh, within an organization? And that starts with one voice. So mm -hmm. one person can, and they don't have to be the leaders. As I talk about leading from the middle, some of the most effective leaders I've ever seen are ones that don't wear the title, but they're in the middle of that organization. But if you go in there with that positive attitude, you go in there and you be the one who starts that message and you'll be surprised how much it can actually spread throughout the organization. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. It is, uh, Odie, if you look at in the past, you know, transformations of large companies like from IBM to the civil rights movement to even the rise of Nazi Germany, like why am I bringing these random things? Here's why, because it only takes three to five percent of a community to have a radical effect on a whole population. And here's the good news is it only takes three to five percent of, let's say, your employees to really embrace you know, this kind of positivity and like we're all in and we love the mission to have a massive positive influence on the organization. But the corollary to that is it only takes three to 5% of people to completely pull a culture into a really, really bad place, right? And just remember, right, we teach what we tolerate. So, you know, if we're in an organization now and we're allowing people to lob hand grenades into the good work that we're trying to do, and nothing is done, we're telling everybody that, you know what, I guess it's okay to act like that. And that is where I think a lot of people also really struggle with, okay, hey, how do I start setting some standards, being in agreement and holding people accountable, especially if this has not been a place of accountability in the past. And so, Odie, you know, as you've stepped into some of those places, is there some things you found that have been helped start that process? Well, there's a lot of things that can be kind of fire starters. You know, what you surround yourself with is what your viewpoint's going to be. Uh, and to make it a personal story, you know, I love, for example, swimming and coolest dimension ever, little underwater MP3 players. So I listen to music while I work out. And, you know, I've put some music on there and what's good workout music, some of this hard rock and whatever. And quite honestly, a lot of it's pretty negative. So I found myself actually swimming angry. The other day, I thought it was weird. I decided I wasn't going to put some of the Christian music on, upbeat and everything else. And the other day I said, what a difference. I swam happy. And it's not that my disposition changed from when I went to the gym, but that's what I chose to surround myself with. And it simply is my surrounding. And I think that same philosophy can work a lot in an organization is what are you choosing, conscious decision 
of to surround yourself with. And leadership can create that within a culture of an organization. We can plant the seeds. We can be positive with people. We can connect with people. You know, as you were sharing that a story of a friend of mine who was put into the job of being a wing commander of the wing was just having, you know, about a thousand people, uh, very, very tough time, lots of challenges, ethical issues, all sorts of scandals. He called me up and said, what do I do about it? I said, you know, and I kind of chuckled. I said, I don't have an answer for you. I said, to solve all the problems, but I can tell you how it will be solved. And that's going to be one person at a time. I said, every single day you sit down and you connect with at least two people and you find out why they're in that organization, what their vision is of where they want to be in the future. You know, how can they participate? And you tell them, you know, be, give them positive feedback of how they make difference in an organization. I said, and throughout the course of a two-year period, then you hopefully are going to be connecting with most of the people in that organization and you'll have a huge positive influence because I can't tell you the problems you're going to face or how you're going to face them or decisions you're going to make. But I do know the solution is always going to come down to people. Now, through your career, right, uh, General, you grew up as a military brat, like you said. Mm -hmm. I'd love for you to share some of the highlights of that whole journey and what kind of shaped this focus that you have, like you just mentioned, because I totally agree, that is the approach that's going to have long-term, really positive outcomes. But it's not a place that I see today a lot of leaders coming from, if that makes sense. So I'd love to have you share your journey and how you got to that place from really recognizing that I think the value in not only positivity, but people. Okay. Well, I'll try and make a very short version of this. Like I said, military brats. I've you know grown up in that military organization. My dad, 26 years, retired Colonel Vietnam war forward air controller. So I had this propensity. I wanted to fly. And to be quite honest, when I was getting ready to go to college, it was quite a, a tussle for me to figure out if I wanted to go Navy or Air Force. I hate to confess that at this point, but actually I had a greater chance of an Air Force ROTC scholarship. I wanted to be, a, a, you know, fly big airplanes and travel the world. And it ends up, I had a lot, uh, you know, I did well enough in pilot training that they said, if you ask for that, we're going to make you a first assignment instructor. So, you know, I, I needed to ask for fighters. I never, you know, envisioned that I was going to be a fighter pilot. And everything along my career has never turned out the way that I expected it to. I won't say it hasn't worked out, but simply is making sure that when one door shuts, there is another path that's available there. You know, I was able to go fly active duty seven and a half years and full-time with the guard F-16 training forever. And that's where I got involved with safety. So you think fighter pilot, you think the top gun movies and you have a certain vision of the people and what their mindset is, but in the safety realm, it was about getting everybody home safely every night. And that's the way I ended up modeling safety, which eventually led to being involved with the suicide prevention program, the resiliency, the caring for people types of issues that I was able to address back in Washington, D.C. My mindset evolved. And like I said, it's focusing always more and more on people as we go through. I thought I'd end up retiring in Washington, D.C., and I had this wonderful opportunity to come up here to Michigan to lead Michigan's hometown air base at Selfridge. And I really saw that as the zenith of a career opportunity to come in and change an organization, make a difference in people's lives. And I think we were able to do that spectacularly up here in Michigan. And it's the type of thing now when I coach and I talk with folks to explain the principles of the violent positivity and what a difference it can make in the organization. And that's how I got involved, for example, now with Warriors with Warriors to continue to care for these wonderful men and women who have done so much for our country and have sacrificed so much. And it's just great to be able to be involved and make a difference. 
Yeah, thank you. And Warriors with Warriors, Odie, what was the night where that kind of popped in your head and said, you know, it was an idea that needed to be acted on? Well, I'll have to say that I am not the founder of Warriors with Warriors. I've joined this as the wingman on a rejoin coming into this flight that was already in progress. Wonderful folks, for example, Shelly, Chaplain Webb that we have at the state level and the numbers that started this program. When I retired then, getting to work with them, know them, they said, hey, how about coming on board as part of our team to teach this military cultural competency part of this effort that's going on? So this is a state-sanctioned effort to work with these different organizations around the state to help connect and take care of our veterans. It's through Health and Human Services in the state of Michigan. Wow. And tell us more about what it is exactly. Well, military cultural competency is, once again, teaching organizations of faith how to introduce themselves to, connect with, and help our veterans or those who are wearing the uniform for our country right now. So we teach them, you know, some of the basics about the military so that they can have a a level of competency when they're talking. But then also, what is it you do say? What is it you don't say when trying to make that connection with a veteran? You know, a lot of folks, I'd say 90% of the time, if somebody finds out I'm in the military, I get a thank you for your service, which I think is a fantastic sentiment. But from an organization of faith, I think it needs to be a lot more than that. There has to be a deeper question because I think a lot of the times we hear that phrase and it becomes kind of a trite, not really digging. It's almost a salutation like, hey, great to see you or something like that. So we want to teach them to go beyond that. And there are four, you know, great questions you can ask anybody. So, you know, good military, we come up with our checklist. Here are the four things that you can say to a veteran that's going to help you connect. And what are those four things? Well, one is let's start with what branch of the service did you serve in so that they can, you know, start talking. One is just going to open the dialogue to get the veteran or the service member talking Two, what was your job when you were there and have them describe that. Why did you specifically join the military? And then of course, the great last question always is, and what can I do for you? So it's a simple four-step checklist to help organizations understand, you know, connecting with those veterans. Over the past few decades, much has been said and written about leadership, but I don't think enough has been said or written about followership. I believe great leaders are also great followers. So whether you're leading an organization or just leading within the context of your home, following Jesus impacts every aspect of your life. I'm Kevin East, the CEO of Mentoring Alliance, as well as a dad of five, and I invite you to check out my podcast, Following to Lead, where you're here from business leaders, pastors, authors, speakers, and parents about how following Jesus shapes and guides our lives and how it can impact yours. Check out Following to Lead in your favorite podcast app. And what do you think of the phrase when people meet a veteran, typically those aren't the questions they ask, what they say is, thank you for your service. Mm-hmm. Right. And then there's a bit of small talk and then you kind of go your other ways. What are your thoughts on that? Well, like I said, I think a lot of times if people hear a phrase like that, they understand that it's not digging for depth. It's not making a connection. It's nice. It's polite, but it's also very surfacey type of a thing because that's what they hear from a lot of folks. So organizations of faith, a lot of times are going to want to dive into things like religion and all and that can be a very touchy subject also. So we want to talk with the organizations and say, realize that, you know, forcing your religious viewpoints can also be off-putting to some, because some aren't believers. Some have different faiths. You know, we can go on with that, but it's kind of a little bit of a minefield when you're trying to make a connection so that you can start sharing information back and forth. 
We're trying to get the organizations to make the connection with the veteran, get them to talk about themselves, share information that can be useful then so that we can understand what their needs are. Yeah. And, you know, think about that, uh, you know, for everybody listening, when you do see a veteran, you say, you know, thank you for your service. And, you know, we're going to appreciate that. I appreciate that if I'm wearing mm-hmm. something out about, but if you just ask some simple questions, I was sitting at breakfast the other day and the guy had a, a submarine hat on. Right. And I said, thank you for a service. Cause he does, doesn't get thanked a lot as a submariner. And we sat there <laughs> over breakfast. Uh, they were at the table next to us for 20 minutes chatting. And I got to meet his whole family and, and I did at the end say, is there anything I can do to help you? There wasn't, but he generally appreciated that conversation. But I also, and I really want to hear about your faith journey too, Odie, but here's something I've also found being in the military is especially people, not as much in the pilot community, but any, especially the folks that were on the ground. They've seen things, folks. Um, they've confronted evil at its most raw and pure it's very difficult for the rest of us to relate to. And I know a lot of people, cause I've been able to serve, I don't know if you know this, Doug, but I got named the preferred leadership trainer, our company beyond influence to the air force personnel center. So they have us going all over the world, doing a lot of leadership training for them. But you, there's a lot of folks that they have seen stuff that they cannot reconcile with their understanding of the God they grew up with. So they've pulled away. And if I'm jumping in there too fast or having some of the trite sayings that sometimes we can as Christians, like, oh, everything's going to work together for good. Like, just trust God. But if I just put that out there without any context, but almost as a line, that's going to, I think, create a wedge versus create a relationship and a connection, especially if it's like right out of the gate. But what are your thoughts, Doug, when you meet somebody who is a veteran and you know what, you have a connection But where do you bring in that faith conversation in a way, just like Jesus did, that is, you know, um, in meeting them where they're at? Well, I guess to me, one is most of the time I would never think of leading with that. I want to make that connection first, you know, and I'll go back to I've just seen that done. I I was cringing. I'm like, no, you're one of those typical Christians they make fun of when you're not around. Well, and, you know, back to your submariner story, you know, one of my favorite questions when I see somebody is I'll walk up to them and go attack or boomer. Mm-hmm. And they'll just kind of look at me and go, wow, you know, the difference between the two, because I mean, the culture is completely different between the low and slow and fast attack mm-hmm. in the Navy, but that'll normally get them talking about things. And that's what we want to do. We want to make that connection to begin with. Then you can find out where they are on their spiritual journey, and then you can go meet them where they are. But to lead with that, I think a lot of times is really going to be off-putting. Most folks in the military uh, have this tendency to put up those shields, to stay within their goalposts, to protect themselves. You know, we have that uh, suck it up buttercup mentality a lot of times of don't cry, don't uh, ask for help and just power through. And uh, I think all of us, once we get to a certain level of maturity and experience, realize that that doesn't always work. It can up to a certain point, but uh, everybody is going to need help at some point in their lives. But we have to make the connection to begin with, uh, with the individuals. Yeah. And now for yourself, um, you said you lived like a Christian for many years, but then that finally became a, like you became a follower of, of Jesus while in active duty. And there was a, a point later when you were overseas where that uh, seemed like it was really tested. 
I'd love for you to share that because I think that's going to help people in just context of have a really substantive conversation with, you know, with our service members that are out talking to and getting to meet. Okay. I'm more than happy to share that. I do want to say that, you know, when it comes to the warriors with warriors is we're not advocating for any particular uh, religious belief or anything else in what we do. It really is about trying to figure out to meet them where they are, help them and not particularly advocating for any one religion. Now, Back to my experiences uh, specifically, I would almost say following religious principles, even when up through college and into pilot training, I could remember going to Bible studies, et cetera, because I felt like it was the right thing to do, Mm. but I was not a Christian. I was off at my F4 initial training down in Homestead, Florida, and got involved with a great church, University Baptist Church down there. And I still chuckle to this day because I could remember being asked to lead prayers, you know, Bible studies and things like that. And prior to that point, I was not even a Christian when they were asking me that. I would not define myself in that way. And it was on a retreat to Lake Placid, Florida uh, with Dan Yeary. I can still remember the pastor. And at one point, they said, everybody take some time, take about a half an hour, some peaceful time out around the lake. And I can remember that's when it hit me, what had been missing in my life. And I remember walking up to Pastor Dan Yeary and I said, I would like to accept Christ in my life. And I remember him looking at me and he goes, you're kidding, right? because apparently I was putting on such a great facade that he was even surprised. As I told him, gave him grief later on. That's not the way you greet somebody when they tell you they want to, you know, accept Christ. Wait, did he already think you were a a Christian? Absolutely. Like I said, I was involved with everything, leading stuff, you know, so he was, I think, quite surprised when I went up and had my little chat with him. But it was the start of a great journey that through the years uh, has led me to a lot of different places, a lot of different churches, growth experiences, I had a wonderful opportunity to actually take a go on a mission trip to Russia. This was uh, just a few years after the downfall of the Soviet Union to go stand in Red Square to help build a church in Moscow. And it was amazing to me the number of people there that had uh, been impacted through you know the missionary work that had reached out even during the time of the Soviet Union, impacting a lot of the folks in their religious beliefs. I spent a lot of time actually in a when I was in Tucson, Arizona and flying my F-16s and all down there a non-denominational church that I just loved. It was great. Made me kind of think a lot about the Bible, but got involved with a Christian band, was actually a singer in a Christian band for about 13 years, which was always good. I said, you can't be in a bad mood when you're singing in a band. <laughs> but you, so know, you, that's you were like the, Rooster in the new uh, Top Gun movie. You were the guy. Just, uh, yeah, let's go with that. Uh, yeah, let's go with that. How's that? <laughs> not singing great balls of fire, but uh, it was actually some great music and all. They wrote all their own and it was very upbeat and eclectic in a lot of ways. So, you know, that's kind of my genesis. As I said, don't ever assume from people when you meet them, when you get to know them, uh, what you see is not always what you get. And hence about making the connections. And my story with Dan Yeary there is. I think everybody thought I was a good person, but that doesn't mean that I was necessarily walking the way I needed to walk. Now in that, right, the Warrior with Warriors program, Mm -hmm. right, the heart behind it is, hey, how do we really get the faith community engaged in and serving and helping and even hiring the people that are in the military right now, in the reserves, coming out of active duty? You know, from your perspective, having seen this, why is there a I think a need or why have you made a choice with what you're doing with your life and, and your time to create that focus? Well, 
There is a great need and the needs vary. I think people have a tendency to use a little bit of a cookie cutter approach to our veterans and the needs that they might have. Everybody kind of makes the assumption, oh, the deployed comeback type of uh, mentality. But especially with our hometown heroes, whether it be Army or Air side, we have, I'll use the term part-time. I wouldn't use that other than with, uh, you know, to describe here, people that are in the National Guard that have work. They serve in the guard, they have families, they go to school, they balance life in a very unique way compared to our active duty, full-time military. So we can have somebody who, you know, flies an RPA mission and no kidding, flying, you know, leading a combat mission, sitting in a remote area somewhere. And then- Now, what does the RPA stand for? I'm sorry, that's your drones. That's your predator, reaper, and all that we hear about there. Uh, Good call. You caught me on an acronym there. No, that's Okay. But that's a reality of life is that they fly a combat mission, if you will, engage with the enemy, and they go home at night and have dinner with the family. That challenge. What about, uh, you know, for example, here we have A-10 uh, deploy in A-10. They go, they do a combat deployment for a number of months, and then they come back and integrate right into where they were in the past, back to their job, back to their family. And nobody understands what it is they've been through in that period of time. And it leads to very unique issues, very unique problems, all of which we want to equip these organizations of faith. We wanna give them every available opportunity to help these people out. And they need to figure out how to get that connection, how to share that so that, like I said, they can figure out the needs these individuals might have and help them meet it. Yeah, and I was able to do a strategic planning retreat with the 25th attack group. That's where all the drones report up to the, that group. And one of the things they were sharing with me is that, you know, these young kids, think about it. You get up in the morning, you go to Starbucks, you go in your trailer and you're doing a, you're piloting a lethal mission somewhere 4,000, 5,000 miles away. And then you go get, you know, Chick-fil-A on the way back home. You're, when we were deployed, you know, uh, Doug, you had kind of your band of brothers, your band of brothers and sisters, it's, you know, today, you were in like this mindset when you were away that I think protected you. So, you know, it's harder. And the other thing too, that was always hard for me and my wife, I'd be gone. The longest I was gone was nine months during Operation uh, Desert Storm. This is quite a while ago, but uh, Donna had to become completely self-sufficient. Every decision, mm-hmm. all the bills, you know, and then I come home and I want to jump back into the role that I, as I remembered it. Right. And it was almost for me, like it was turning a switch on and off. And for Donna, it was almost like life had moved on, like reintegrating for her and I every time was so hard. And, and I love what you're doing because you know what, as people of faith without an agenda, but just to serve these amazing men and women where they're at with real needs that they have, as they're trying to reintegrate their family their job, their life, their marriage, even spiritually. And guess what? When people want help spiritually, if you develop that trust and that relationship, here's what I found every single time. Without having my own agenda, they will bring it up to me when they're ready. Mm -hmm. And that's when you can have some real conversations versus, you know, so if we just keep serving, and these are people that, man, need to be served because they've given so much for this country, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, the other part, too, is by making that connection and just being able to establish that communication, a lot of these folks don't even know what their problems are, you know, how they're having trouble coping. They just cover it up. They deal with it. They compensate. 
they might not even realize what the issues are that they're facing. So once again, developing that personal connection and just getting them talking to begin with is a huge step. Like I said, there's different challenges from different organizations. We couldn't even begin to identify them all. Uh, right. What's different from the guard and reserve versus the active duty versus the army versus the air. We, you know, and in, you know, in Michigan, suicide rates and all within the military are not a whole lot different between the active duty guard and reserve. The problems are just different that they face hmm. and the stressors that they have could be very different. So we have to be flexible. We have to be adaptive in how we approach them, that there's not one answer to dealing with the men and women wear the uniform. Yeah. So what are some ways that people can connect you, find with you, learn more about how that they can, you know, just connect and serve and, you know, tools to help our warriors? Well, John, that's a great question. And thank you for asking that. You know, most of ours is through this Others Over Self organization, which is part of this Warriors of Warriors. So othersoverself.com is where a lot of the resources and a lot of the connectivity can happen. You can actually download an article that talks about those four meaningful ways to make that connection with those in the military. And it expands on those four steps, which is what branch are you in? What was your job? Why did you join? And how can we help you? And walks you through those four steps. But once again, it's othersoverself.com. And for this show, we'll put it on the backslash EL, by the way. Oh, Echo Lima. So othersoverself.com forward slash E-L. And do you guys also do uh, training on suicide awareness, mental health? Absolutely. That is part of the curriculum. Okay. Because I got to tell you, folks, I've been looking at the numbers. The numbers around this have through COVID, well, there's kind of some good news, bad news. Bad news is the suicidal thoughts and ideations have skyrocketed. But the amount of suicides that have actually been, I don't want to say successful, um, the ones that have people have completed, maybe, yep, have actually gone down a little bit. I think part of it is through COVID, a lot of us started reaching out, connecting, and asking people, "How you doing?" I think we weren't focused on that before. It has not improved meaningfully, but it's gotten a little bit better. And it, back to what you said, you know, radical, uh, violent positivity, reaching out to people, caring about other people, being that person that just, you met somebody at a Starbucks who got out of the Air Force or the Army and you got their card and you maybe just shoot them a text because you're maybe what you might be one of the few people in their life who's actually checking in with them. And you know what? There's little things that we can do might not only just help change somebody's life, but it could literally save somebody's life. And I truly believe that because I've actually seen that happen. So, oh, to you. And well, the and whole- that's great. And, you know, I'll go back to some of the great ideas out there certainly don't belong necessarily with the leadership. So as we talked to people, when I was director of safety for the Air Guard, I brought in, I wanted the newest, youngest person of each wing to come to our big safety summit that we did with all the Guard leaders and brought them all in there. And when it was all said and done, we were talking about communication. How can we reach folks? And uh, I said, oh, yeah, but we post that on Facebook. And I can remember getting the big eye roll. I said, well, what's that for? I said, they go, Facebook's for grandparents. I said, oh, okay, what do you want? And they looked at me and they said, well, we want an app. And I said, really, what do you want the app to do? And I got my pen out and I started taking notes. And, you know, you just touched on one people, you know, if you send out an email and all, I believe it's about a six or 7% read rate. Text messages is about 90%. 
So we put an app in there. It was called Wingman Wednesdays, where you could basically set up an auto reminder to check in with your wingman every Wednesday through a text message type of a program, a reminder to you just to check on people to see how they're doing. But that idea didn't come from me. It came from the smart people out there. If we have the ears to listen to what people have mm-hmm. to say, we can learn amazing things. Oh, love it. Isn't that true? So, you know, just as we land the plane here, coming in for the break. Wait, are we tail hooking or are we landing normal? Well, you know, real man tail hook, Odie. Okay. <laughs> ah, sorry, man. I had to go there. Do you know why Navy guys make fun of Air Force guys? Do tell. Because we're just jealous. You guys got better bases, better planes, and, you know... I mean, we get to land on a boat, but, you know, the whole thing's a trade-off. So I just want, you know, and the work I've gotten to do with the Air Force, uh, you know what I love? One thing I love about the Air Force, the level of professionalism. It's amazing. Every time we did an exercise with the Air Force, I knew we had to bring our A game because everybody involved, whether it was a B-52 crew or a cruise missile exercise or a fighter exercise, they were bringing their A game without exception. We could not phone it in. So I uh, loved working with the Air Force. But with that, this, we're coming in to land the plane. Let's just do, how about this? We're coming in the overhead. We're landing on the runway. We're going to just roll it in. Just a beautiful flare as we touch down. What are some, just some final thoughts you have, General? Well, you're, you know, I'm going to just roll off what you were just talking about is there are wonderful men and women that are great professionals. There's a lot of things I think we can do to be their shipmate, to be their battle buddy, to be their wingman as part of all this. So I'm just hoping there's ways we can connect things we can do so that it's one team, one fight, and we're all winners in the end with this, John. And thank you so much for what you're doing, helping us reach out. And I think it's all good when we're, when we're focused on people and we're caring for those who care for us. Well, that focus on those who care for us, right? So let's serve those who've served us uh, with their lives and their time and their honor. So thank you, General. And talents and treasures. Yep. yep. Thank you, General. And uh, thank you for your team. And this has been awesome. All right, buddy. Thank you so much. Appreciate it.